Welcome to Becoming Your Best Version, a podcast in which I get to interview amazing women, amplify their voices and the light that they are bringing to the world. My name is Maria Leonard Olson. I am an attorney practicing civil litigation in the Washington, D.C. area. I'm an author, journalist, recovery mentor, podcast host, and radio show host on WPFW Jazz and Justice. Today, I'm really excited to introduce you to creativity and innovation speaker, author, and educator, Meta Wagner. Meta, please tell me I'm saying that correctly, Meta. It's actually Meta, but that's- Meta, oh geez, okay. I am human, everyone. Maida, who I just is a new friend and I just adore, is the author of What's Your Creative Type? Harnessing the Power of Your Artistic Personality. She's also the author of this fabulous Substack newsletter called Page Fright. She is a writing and creativity professor at Emerson College. In, the Boston, in Boston, and also has taught at Boston University, Wheelock College, and Grub Street. Meta is the creator of an original model for creativity, the five creative types, and has given talks about it at TEDx, creativity conferences, and corporate events and webinars. Meta has been a contributor to the Boston Globe opinion pages and is a columnist for Pop Matters. She has had articles published in the Chicago Tribune, Boston Globe Magazine, Wall Street Journal, Custom Content, and others. She is a writing coach and writing workshop leader. I have many links in the show notes about Meta's work, and you can follow her on Facebook, her Facebook page, her Facebook author page, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and on YouTube to see her fabulous TEDx talk. Welcome, Meta. <laughs> thank you, Maria. We and were, I'm very happy to be here. Thank you for making time out of your very busy schedule to be here. We had a really great conversation before the show, and we have so much in common. I am an admirer of your work, and as an educator, you are, your legacy touches the lives of so many young people, and it takes my breath away how, how many people you have touched. Thank you. Thank you, and same with you as well. Thank you. And your son is an educator as well. <laughs> How wonderful. He is, he is, but much more uh, courageous teaching middle school than I am teaching college. All right. Uh, well, that's debatable because, <laughs> <laughs> but I hear you and I, I honor what you're saying, but that must give you pride that your son is in some ways following in your footsteps and making a difference with the younger generation. Yeah, it really does. And my mother was an educator, so I like um, how the lineage goes from one generation to the next in, in being a teacher. Absolutely. And Meta was introduced to me by another guest on our show, Gina Vild, who is a powerhouse in the Boston area as well. And I'm grateful, shout out to 
um, our mutual friend for bringing yeah. us together. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And she loved doing this interview with you. Thank you. So Meta is passionate about helping people reach their creative potential. And she uses this original model of the five creative types to teach how the power of creativity and a deepened understanding of creative motivations can transform organizations, teams, and individuals. So please tell our listeners about your model, the five creative types. Yeah, you know, I teach a class at Emerson called Creativity in Context. I love that name, even though I didn't come up with it because it could mean anything, which opens the door to me making it a little different every semester, kind of focusing on different things. And yes. But the primary focus was on why people create. So much that's in the media, um, there's a fascination with creativity. It's usually about the how, mm -hmm. and I'm just that nerd who wants to know about the why instead. And when I started studying, you know, hundreds of creators in all the different arts um, and a little bit in business as well, I started to see a pattern forming of really like five different categories that it came down to. And of course, there's subcategories and it might change for you throughout your life as we evolve. But what it came down to me was um, being driven by ego, and I turned that into the A-lister, being driven by just love for the, and the joy of doing something creative, and I called that the artisan, uh, wanting to do something innovative, novel, something that hasn't been done for, before, called that the game changer, being motivated by helping people or achieving you know, some catharsis for yourself. That's a sensitive soul and wanting to change the world through art. And that's the activist. So those are the five creative types, lots of variation within each. Um, but I find that some people are, oh, absolutely, I'm that type. Mm -hmm. And many people are, I'm primarily this type. But of course, you know, I'm a hybrid with another type as well. But it's a it's a just a way in to understand yourself. And when you start to sort of lose faith in a project, you get blocked. Um, I think it's a great reminder to know what's motivating you to begin with. What were you passionate about? Why you started this thing, even when you reach some roadblocks and get you back on track. Wow. Well, I'm fascinated that you speak at a lot of corporate functions and in corporate America, which sometimes can be insular, how do they use the tools that you equip them with to elevate their work? You know, it's interesting. I wrote this and came up with this really with artist types in mind. Mm -hmm. um, but then I started getting some interest from corporations and I started to really think through, well, is there a value there? And I think there is because when team members understand where each other is coming from, I think it makes it easier for them to sort of not uh, jump down each other's throats or get into conflict and understand like, okay, and, and even for leaders of teams, this is sort of the workhorse who loves what they're doing and isn't necessarily looking for praise or credit for everything, but 
as a leader, as a manager, I should be aware that, you know what, they deserve the praise. They deserve all the credit for the kind of hard work that they do, even if they're not somebody who speaks up for themselves. If it's somebody who's an activist, they're probably pushing the corporation to maybe form a foundation or support certain causes. So it's that sort of a thing where you can kind of feel like, where does each person fit into the team? What can they contribute? And to appreciate what they contribute and everybody can't be everything. So let's make the most of their role. Wow, that's powerful stuff. And I am assuming that most of the corporations and organizations at which you speak tend to be open-minded to be able to accept and utilize these important tools. Yeah, we um, sometimes I'll do like breakouts. You know, people, <laughs> it's very satisfying because as I talk about each type, people are usually like nodding along when I get to the type they identify with. Mm -hmm. And then it's, you know, a sort of a situation where I don't like for people to type others. And even in my book, I never say, you know, Emily Dickinson is an artisan. It's not for me to say what somebody else is, mm. but in the breakout groups, <laughs> you could totally, I could hear the conversations um, and people sort of like proudly saying what they are and other people saying, oh, I totally can see that. And um, it's very interesting. I actually do consider myself an A-lister, but that's the one type that's like a little bit like, oh, <laughs> maybe it's not good to be driven by ego and accomplishment and whatever. But I always say I love all my babies equally. And um, <laughs> it's a fantastic thing to be, you know, it's not pure like the artisan, I guess. But like I said, I think you know, I think another thing I'm trying to get across is there's a lot of shoulds along, uh, among creative people. Oh, I should be this. I should be writing. I should be doing. And it doesn't do any of us. I do it to myself. It doesn't do any of us any good, either in the workplace or in our individual creative lives. So instead of, you know, an A-lister saying, oh, I wish I was a purist. I wish I didn't care about accolades and all that. Just accept that that motivates you and I think whatever motivates you will be helpful to you and stop with all the shoulds get rid of the shoulds it doesn't absolutely I in my book 50 after 50 reframing the next chapter of your life I encourage people to stop shooting all over themselves exactly because especially I find as women we are told to subjugate our needs by uh, uh, overt or covert messages in society, in American society anyway. And I love your message about acceptance and and you increase people's self-understanding so that they can move forward in their careers or creative lives with greater ease. Yes, thank you. That's, that is one of the things I'm trying to attempt here. Um, you know, speaking of women, I spoke at UMass Lowell's uh, women's conference. And they really, a lot of women, we had a lot of good discussions about, are you the artisan type by choice? Or did you sort of get put into that less self-promoting role as a woman? And how can, you know, I'm saying don't should yourself and accept who you are, but 
an exception might be if you don't feel like you're naturally a certain type, but you've been placed into that and it's keeping you back, you need to be aware of that as well. I want your you know, so-called creative type to stem from who you really are, not to be placed on you. So as women to be aware, am I not a game changer because I've been raised to not um, cause a lot of you know trouble because mm-hmm. game changers are troublemakers or is that just naturally not of interest to me? So that's, that's another kind of self-awareness aspect to this. I love that. I love that because many of us blithely go through life thinking that we're supposed to behave a certain way. And I think one of the gifts of aging is to start to drop some of those rocks and to find authenticity. And I view you as a change agent in helping people move along that path. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It, it, you know, Maria, it's one of the only good things about aging. (laughs) We don't care as much about what other people think and as much about the rules and as much about what we were raised with. So that's can be very freeing. That can be. Absolutely. I came to understand at age 50 that I cannot possibly control what other people think nor is it my job to do that. And I made myself sick trying to control what other people thought about me when I was truly powerless to do that. I just thought I could by doing all the so-called right things. And that was an exercise in futility for me. So I want to go back a little bit to talking about your work with organizations, teams, and individuals. Have you, or can you tell us a story about a transformation you were able to witness with this powerful work? I would say it's interesting. A lot of people will come up to me after book talks or other talks, and um, and even part of this creativity book uh, group I was a part of for the past year, which was amazing. Um, and Uh, I knew the women running the group through a podcast I had done with them and uh, in Nashville, we had both done talks. So in any case, I I didn't think about it going into this group. A lot of people would have already heard the podcast known of my book. I didn't know I was known among them. And one of them said she she never thought of herself as a creative person. And listening and reading about the five creative types was one of the things that in her 50s made her realize, I'm creative, I can write. You know, she's working on this fantastic TV pilot now. Wow. She started a website for um, underrepresented writers to get their voice out there. Wonderful. So if I had any tiny little piece of that, it makes me really proud to know Oh, you did, Meta. Claim it. Own it. You absolutely did. I I believe that when the student is ready, the teacher will come and you may never fully appreciate all the lives that you've touched. And being someone with almost 10 years of sobriety now, people told me things early in sobriety that I could not appreciate until I did more work on myself. But I remember my sober sisters, I remember things I read in the literature of 
Alcoholics Anonymous that really resonate now that I was not able to accept 10 years ago. Right. So right. Um, make no doubt about it, Meta, you are changing lives. Thank and you. I am so fortunate that our paths crossed. So one of the things you also te teach about and speak about is getting motivated like the masters. Can you tell our listeners more about what that means? Yeah, sure. It's still related to the five creative types, but rather than being quite so focused on the types per se, it's based on the research I did about all these artists, you know, in all the performing arts, the visual arts, writing, all of it, um, and what their motivations were and how they stayed true to them. So I'll talk about somebody like, um, like an Ernest Hemingway would, you know, we all associate him with, with drinking and with mm. um, womanizing and running with the bulls and all that, but he was very serious about writing, obviously, um, and very, and he had a very devoted to it. It wasn't some little side thing. And I think a lot of his life was, let me create experiences that I'll then incorporate into my novels. Um, but he um, was somebody who he would just make these proclamations. Like, I want my books to be read for as long as books are read. Mm -hmm. And there's a part of me that's like, oh, for God's sakes, you know? <laughs> Can you imagine any one of us walking around like that? But there's the other part of me that thinks like, good for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you no, know, like, what if we all had a little bit of that in us? Maybe we don't have to say it out loud, but it would be an awesome thing to have within ourselves instead of including myself being so self-deprecating all the time and you know what his books are read a century later yes so they are he got his he reached his goal and I'm sure some of it was and you know setting a goal that seems so insane <laughs> that it was motivating to him yes. so that's just one example of can we get some of that you know, the most famous artists are famous in part because of the, the quality of their work or the newness of their work or their innovation at the time. But some of it is that sort of um, self-promotion or self, um, you know, reinvigorating and, and, and creating almost a character of themselves as a motivational tool, not just a promotional tool, but a motivational tool. I so I, I wish, agree. you know, I just think there's in business, in the arts, there's so much to learn from the ones who made it and the ones who also, you know, might have lost some steam in their career along the way and got it back. You know, how did they do that? So I just love studying them, studying their stories and seeing what we can learn from them. The five creative types is not based on principles of psychology. I'm not a psychologist. It's based on studying what artists said, what they said. I, I studied interviews with them, listen to podcasts, watch TV interviews, read their memoirs, biographies of them, all of that to kind of try to distill it down for people. Wow. I really appreciate your work. I have read a biography of Hemingway and his swagger was astounding. But again, going back to women and what we are told by society, I think too many of us, absolutely, this is true for me, did not claim our power. And I think that you are helping 
people of both sexes claim their power. And that is such a laudable endeavor in our society, especially now. We talked a little bit about politics and the effect of what was uncovered in the last administration. So we, we have work to do and we need to claim our power and continue. It's, it's progress, not perfection. It is a lifelong journey for most of us. And I wanna be like Hemingway. I must, <laughs> I must do a great deal of self-promotion in order to get publishers for my book, to get speaking engagements. And it is abhorrent to my mother and to my adult children, the amount of self-promotion that I do, and especially to my ex-husband. But I, I have to let go of that because this is my path and passion. And the more people I reach, I believe, the more people I help. So I will not apologize for that. Yeah, I've been going through the same thing lately. I um, have a new Substack newsletter out called Pace. Yes, yes, everyone. Go check out Right. <laughs> Tell the listeners how to find it. So if you go, you go to uh, Meta Wagner, M-E-T-A-W-A-G-N-E-R dot substack dot com. And that'll take you right to my page. And it's, it's called page fright as a sort of cute term, but really taking the knowledge I have about cre creators generally and bringing it to writers specifically because they have my heart because I'm a writer and really just having such open discussions in the comments and in the questions I raise about why writer's block exists. Mm -hmm. Well, we, you know, you don't hear painter's block or musician's block. I know right. they have it, but it seems to be more common among writers and you know, what, what can you, how can you change your thinking and the messages you give yourself to kind of manage it? You know, you can't get rid of fright, you, but you can manage it. Mm -hmm. And I was going to say um, in relation to that, so I've been, because it's new, I'm doing a lot of self-promotion and I'm so like, mm. and a friend of mine is like, stop it. You know, <laughs> you got, I'm like, oh God, I don't want to put out more than one thing on Facebook this week. She's like, stop it. You got to do that. And oh, you have to do it every day. Sister. Yeah. So now <laughs> like every day, and I'm, but it feels that level of self-promotion does feel awkward to me, but everybody else is doing it. It's necessary. You have to break through the clutter and all that. And I really believe in this newsletter. So it's not just, oh, I want to increase my numbers. I really want people to read it, take it in, absorb it, and hopefully kind of almost form this writing community. And um, I've just been loving the comments section and people being so open and honest about their fears and um, how they deal with them or when they haven't been able to deal with them yet, what they're learning from the, the things that I've shared. And unlike uh, what's your creative type, I really didn't bring myself into it much. It wasn't, I didn't mean it as that kind of a book. But this time I am, and I'm talking about my own rejections and how I coped with them and um, my own methods of what I tell myself. And, and again, bringing in famous writers and, and how, because they've all dealt with it, just about all. I say maybe not Stephen King, but I know secretly that he has as well. So yeah, it's a fearful thing, putting yourself out there and for the world to read about. And 
I think because all literate people write, on the one hand, people are like, oh, you're an author? Ooh, on the other hand, everybody's like, I can write. <laughs> so you almost have a higher bar, you know, than a musician where it seems more exotic and maybe not everybody played the flute. So they're in awe of somebody who can. Everybody we know for the most part writes. So I think it adds another level of pressure. Absolutely. That is something your Page Fright newsletter I have shared with a writer's group of which I am a member. Thank you. And I uh, will continue to do so because sometimes being self-revelatory via one's writing is scary. And yes. when my book became available, I suddenly felt afraid that I was revealing too much about myself. Yep. Yeah. And before I hit send on an article or, and during the writing process, I think about, ooh, my relatives are not gonna like this one. And I think the tips that you share in Page Fright are beneficial to writers, whether they are journaling, writing for their families, writing for publication. It's a really rich offering. And I thank you for that. Thank you. The late, the current issue is, is just about that thing of who am I to write about my personal life? Because I hear that from so many people. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, each person's family is different. Um, I always promote the book, uh, The Art of Memoir by Mary Carr. Because mm, yes. She's known for writing memoirs and she had to struggle with a lot of these issues. Yeah. Um, the interesting thing that she said is that she shared her manuscript with all her wacky relatives and not one said no to it. And maybe one friend asked her to change a couple of details about her and that was it. Um, wow. And I also remember reading um, a playwright, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm skipping on the name right now, but who his first play was based on Broadway, was based on his family and his father, but you know, it's a fictionalized account. And his father came up to him afterwards and was like, what a crazy family, did not even recognize <laughs> as being his family. So oh my sometimes the solution is to make it fiction. Sometimes the solution is to, you know, let people know you are writing about them. So they're not, mm -hmm. um, taken off guard but I do think people have to be true to themselves and their stories and not feel over you know feel compassionate to those they're writing about but not feel censored by them I would say yeah right I try to share with women writers I work with write your truth it's your truth and uh, that is sometimes a hard pill to swallow because again I think we're conditioned to um, in the Asian cultures to save face and put things under the table. But that really kept me sick for a very long time. Yeah. So yeah. I encourage listeners to write about their truth, whether it is journaling, which I find to be very therapeutic, yes, or putting it out in the world as a way to possibly help another person not feel so alone. Yes, yes. I think that's the one of the, it's those two sides to this. And this is kind of what a sensitive soul does often. It's that 
the catharsis of the release and the knowing that you're saying your truth. And then the idea of helping others who, you know, especially I, I find this with college students who I teach at Emerson College, everyone seems to think they're the only ones yes. suffering with certain things. And then you get into a workshop situation because I teach personal essay writing mm. and um, I try to keep the conversation focused on writing per se, not people's lives. But of course, you can see that people sometimes are very excited to see that someone's writing about something that they haven't written about yet. And it opens the gates for them to now feel like they can as well. And that's a fantastic feeling, I think. Absolutely. So freeing. And wow, I just applaud you for helping to open creativity and consciousness in this way. And working with young people, what do you, what do you see in young people that you mentor and teach that is different from when we were going through our creative endeavors in a different, oh geez, sorry, in a different <laughs> um, milieu? Well, you know, there's a lot of things going on among young people right now. Um, Sadly, I think with COVID and, you know, what, I can go down this whole road, school shootings, this, that, and the other thing. Mm -hmm. um, many, many studies showing, and I can see with my own eyes, just a lot of anxiety and depression and, mm -hmm. and trying to cope with all these things. On the other hand, I see this great spirit, you know, and technology, you know, my students, I teach writing, but I also teach this creativity course as well. So I love it because students come from all different disciplines in the creative arts. And oh my God, the kind of films they can make. You know, I'm thinking like I assigned a creative project. I'm thinking they're gonna bring in like dioramas, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and even the difference from when my son was in college, it's unbelievable the yes. quality and that they're so passionate about it. My students are so passionate about the arts and about mm -hmm. their creativity and helping each other and I just love that I keep getting older they keep staying the same age there's something terribly wrong with that <laughs> and I believe it's keeping you young to stay it, in contact with young people it's a funny kind of paradox I thought oh each year I'm going to start to feel older and I'm not going to know all their cultural references and that is true um, but on the other hand, so I learned their cultural references and I learned music I wouldn't know otherwise. And I think it does keep me feeling more a part of a, a kind of a younger piece of the culture. I really appreciate that in them. Um, Absolutely. What I really love is if I have a tech issue with the uh, yes. <laughs> desk computer, it goes two ways. Either they, they're so nice. They rush up and they either fix it or they're baffled, which makes me feel much better. <laughs> ah, that's funny. Yes. Shout out to my tech son. You can follow him on TikTok at, at Chris with 7.5 million followers Oof. or a pretty hearty following on Instagram at Chris Olson, O-L-S-E-N. And as a, an eight-year-old, he used to try to charge me $5 for every <laughs> tech question. So he's an entrepreneur for sure. <laughs> so uh, Meta, we could talk for a long time, but that I know that fun. you have a, a heavy uh, 
school schedule and I don't want to keep you too long, but I do want to ask you the question that I ask all my guests. What do you do to become your best version? You know, I have found um, throughout my life that I need to sort of use all aspects of my personality and my creativity and my, my brain or it doesn't feel satisfying to me. So for instance, I love to write, which is a solitary thing, but I need my social life also. I need the two sides. I need to write and I also need to teach. When I do just one without the other, I don't, I don't feel as good. You know, I don't feel as fulfilled and satisfied. I need to use the analytical piece of my brain and the creative. And I have found times in my life when I'm only doing one or the other, where I almost feel like, like physically not as well, believe it or mm -hmm. not. And when I'm doing both, it's such a satisfying way of going through life. So I think it's really about expressing myself in through every possible avenue that's open to me and, um, and knowing I'm helping other people, but also it, it helps me feel fulfilled as well. Beautiful, beautiful. And that is something that I had not considered. It's certainly true of me as well, but I hadn't put words to why that is. So yeah, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us. And I encourage listeners to go to metawagner.com. That's M-E-T-A. W-A-G-N-E-R.com and check out the show notes for her incredible offerings. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed this and I love your podcast. It's, it's amazing. It's wonderful. Thank you, everyone. Subscribe, review. It helps to increase its visibility in the algorithm that governs so many things in our society. <laughs> All right. We'll see you. We'll hear you next week. Take care. Great. Thank you, Maria. Have a great day.